I hope you managed to get Christmas over you okay and the new year. I don't know if your family's a little bit like ours, that around Christmas time, that seems to be the time when we can play some games. The board games come out, the dust is knocked off them, and we have the heaviest of competitions to see who will be the champion of whatever game has been played. There's one game that I loved as a child. It's the simple game of guess who. Do you remember that game? Two people facing each other with a little plastic board, and that little board had little white flaps, and underneath each flap was a face. There are 24 faces on a guess who board. And each player would take a card that would have one of those faces on it, put it in front of them, and that would be their character. And it was the job of the other person to guess who was on the other person's card. And so you would ask questions, yes, no, answers only. Do they have glasses? And if they do, you'd knock them down. And if they didn't, well, you'd do uh, the opposite. It was a game about finding out who was the identity of the other person. Of course, if you were in our house, you started deviating and uh, looking and, uh, at the cards and guessing who in real life these people looked like. But it was all about identity. Finding out little by little, piecing together a picture of who was on the other card at the other side of the table. Whenever we read John chapter 7, and we only read part of it, but we're looking at it in its full, uh, as a full chapter this morning. It starts on page 1071. It'd be good if you had your Bible open in front of you uh, to have that there. Page 1071. This passage is all about identity. It's all about groups of people trying to figure out who this Jesus is. There are three different groups of people. The first people that we will meet are the brothers of Jesus, his own family. We'll then go into a crowded scene, and the crowd become our second group of people. And then finally, the chapter finishes off with the religious leaders. But certainly for the crowd and the religious leaders, their part of the chapter is interwoven as we find out little bits of information about what each is thinking and discussing. The story of chapter 7 is the last year, begins the last year of Jesus' ministry on earth. And what's happening is this Feast of Tabernacles. And let me tell you very quickly what that's about. This Feast of Tabernacles was associated with the ingathering of the harvest. It was to celebrate the harvest coming in, and everyone would make the journey, and they would come and they would celebrate. What they were encouraged to do was to live in little booths that they constructed themselves, to remind them of God's deliverance as they were in the wilderness, walking around and moving around with just small shelters to live in. A huge part of, of this festival in its thanksgiving is to give thanks to God for the rain that would come and would feed the ground so that the crops could come in and people could feed. But there's also an expectation at a feast like this or a festival. Whenever the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they were led by God, always waiting on his spirit to lead them on. And in this feast, this is what they were still waiting for, an outpouring of God's spirit to lead them. So everyone is gathering they're coming with excitement. It's a festival about food, so it's always going to be exciting. People, it's described as one of the most joyful feasts or festivals that the Jews had. 
Everyone was in good form. Everyone was there ready to celebrate the ingathering of the harvest and expecting what God would come. His spirit being outpoured to bring forth his kingdom. So in this passage, the first group of people we meet are Jesus' own brothers. Jesus has discovered that in Judea it's not safe for him to be around. Judea is the area around Jerusalem. So he heads north to his home region of Galilee, and that's where he has been uh, ministering. And it comes time for the feast, and his brothers come to him and say, Jesus, let's get ready to go. Pack your bags, we're heading down for the festival. That's the place you want to be, Jesus. That's the place where you go and you show who you truly are. Prove yourself. You have disciples, do some miracles, show them who you are. If you read the start of that passage, it doesn't always come across as the most encouraging of his brothers. Here's Jesus, the older brother, almost being egged on by his younger siblings. Jesus, go and prove yourself. Come on with us and and really show us who you are. Because John points out that even his brothers did not believe in him. What the brothers are looking is really what the world was looking. They wanted Jesus in their time and their place. They wanted right now for Jesus to show and reveal himself. But Jesus says once, and it's commented a second time in this passage, that his time had not yet come. See, Jesus had the view of history. He knew what was coming, but it wasn't yet time for it to happen. So he says, you go on. Because at that festival, people won't want to see me. People actually hate me. And he says, the reason why they hate me is because they hate the message that I'm bringing. He says, I'm here to tell the world that it's wrong. I'm here to tell the world that the way it is going is not the right way. And I've come to tell them what is the right way. But they don't want to know. So the brothers... Go on to the festival, and Jesus waits at home. The brothers, they are like the world, a rebellious world who just want the show to go on right now. They want to be proved. They want to see what is genuine, and that's that's a good quality that they want, but they're making fun of Jesus as they do it. Because again, John echoes in our ears, they did not believe who he was. See, for the brothers, the identity of Jesus is wrapped up in the notion that he's just one of them. He's just our big brother, Jesus. He can teach a wee bit. He's got a few followers, but he's just like one of us. So the first identity that we see here as people are starting to try and piece together who Jesus is, he's just like one of us. He's just our big brother. And like all families, and being the youngest child, I know how easy it is to wind up the older children in a family. So off they go. They go to the festival, and as they get there, there's this chatter. There's conversation going on. Where's Jesus? Where is he? Has anybody seen him? The crowd already have an idea who Jesus is. 
They know the discussions that have been happening. They've been doing it themselves. Where is he? What's he going to do now? And there's an expectation at this festival that Jesus will appear. And Jesus is nowhere to be seen. Verses 12 to 13 gives an insight to what they're talking about. Uh, We'll see how they interact uh, with Jesus. They think, is he the one? Is he not the one? He's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. The festival continues and Jesus does go to the festival. And he comes halfway through and he goes straight to the temple courts for one purpose. He goes to teach. And verses 15 to 44, the interaction between Jesus and the crowd. Jesus goes and he teaches and they are astonished. This is the first thing we learn. Long before Jesus, we hear what Jesus says or has to say. The people are already astonished about what he says. They say, this man is not educated. Well, formally, he hasn't gone through everything that's needed, but yet here he is, a fantastic teacher. How can this be? So the people sit and they listen. He has a captive audience. He's captured their mind. Jesus responds to them with this charge of knowing so much, and he says to them, I'm simply the messenger. The message is from someone else. Remember, this is the message that people didn't want to hear, that they've got it wrong, and that Jesus has come to show the right way. Jesus says, I'm simply the messenger because the one who has sent me is far greater. And if only you knew him, then you would know what is true. Jesus says that they should choose to do God's will, and then they will know what he speaks is truth. He challenges the people by saying, think about it. You're holding me to account here. You're trying to to weigh up who I am, but yet you're hypocrites because in your own mind you're not keeping the law. So by Jesus coming to them, or by the crowd coming to Jesus and saying, how can this be you're such a great teacher? You haven't done anything that you're supposed to have done. Jesus comes back and says, hold on a minute here. Be careful how you judge Be careful how you judge me. And he goes on to say, because you're trying to kill me. Isn't that so? The crowd go, you must be demon-possessed. No one here is trying to kill you, but we learn in verse 25 that the rumors start going around that in fact Jesus is the one that they are trying to capture and kill. It's in verses 22 to 24 We read of Jesus' retort of stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. He's saying engage your head and your heart. Get them both going and look at what is in front of you. Have a look and see who I truly am by what I say and by what I do. Jesus wants them to figure this out. He wants He wants them to to really know that he is the promised one, the one whom God said he would send to be the saviour of the world. But yet we read that the people are divided because they cannot figure Jesus out. The crowd move on and start asking deeper questions. 
So they know all the discussions about Jesus, what's going on with the religious leaders, what's going on in their own communities. But there is an inch, an inch of a discussion that says, well, maybe he is the Christ. Maybe he is the one. I mean, here he is. He hasn't been captured. Maybe the religious leaders have decided that he is the Christ. People are willing to to think of Jesus as the Messiah. By the way, Messiah is the Old Testament word, the Hebrew word for what is the New Testament, Christ. Maybe he is the one. Some say, don't be, don't be ridiculous. We don't know where the Messiah is going to come from. We know this guy is from Galilee. We know him. He cannot be the Messiah or the Christ. Jesus says, that may be true. You know my human origin, but you really don't know where I am truly from. We come to what is the most powerful bit in this story. We come to the bit where Jesus has his main teaching right at the end of the festival. He gets up and he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. To us, we may not fully get this. It just sounds like something else Jesus has said. But remember, this festival is all about about giving thanks for the streams of water that have come to bring in the harvest to fill the wells, to give water to animals and to human beings. And here Jesus is at the end saying, if you want the true quenching of your thirst, I'm it. I'm the one who can quench your spiritual thirst if you will receive it. The festival was about thanking God for for the water coming, but it was also about the outpouring of the Spirit. And Jesus says, it'll not just be a little drop, but it'll be a stream flowing. And John helps us out by saying that in that, Jesus was talking about the Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit coming on those who would believe. The people, how do they finish? They finish with three identities for Jesus. The first one, they say, well, he's a prophet. A prophet was someone with good moral and ethical teaching. The idea was that if the people did what the prophet said, then they'd be okay. But it was all about what they did. If they did what the prophet said, they'd be fine. If they didn't, they wouldn't. It was all about their own works. Secondly, some said he is the Christ, because we do read in the passage that some believed. The the one who was promised, the Messiah, the one in whom true salvation is found. And thirdly, some said, well, he's a fraud. He's from Galilee. Nothing can come from that backwater district. He is a fraud. In your mind, how do you see Jesus? At the very end, we get the religious leaders who say, We don't even want to think about him. In fact, we just want to get rid of him and get him off our plate and it'll be all okay. They were happy in their own status quo. They were happy with their position in society. They were happy with their own teaching. They didn't want to know anything about Jesus. But in your mind, who is Jesus? 
Is he just like you? A man who lived in this earth, trying to get by, doing his best. Is he a prophet? Someone who has good ethical, moral teaching that if you do what he says, well then, that's okay, and it's all about what you do. Is he a fraud? Something made up that we now have printed over thousands of years, and he's a complete fraud. Is he the one who comes to disturb the status quo? You're happy with the life that you have. And here's Jesus going to come in and wreck it all for you. No more good times. Is that the Jesus that you see? Or do you see him as the Christ? The Messiah? See, however we identify Jesus, it's very easy for us to make him who we want him to be. I will put my hand up and say it's easy for me When I want to make decisions that I know I should be making in the way that Jesus would want me to, but yet I say, I'll do it this way and we'll forget all about it. It's easy for me to have Jesus on my terms rather than it is for me to come to Jesus on his terms. But yet I know that as I strive in my relationship and my faith journey with him, I know that I must do better in fully understanding the identity of Jesus Christ. What about you? Who is Jesus? Jesus knew what people thought of him. They knew who he was, or he knew who they thought he was. Yet on the last day of the feast, he stands up and offers them what they want. He offers them fulfillment. He offers a quenching flow for their thirsty souls. He offers hope in life and in death. And he offers salvation for the restless soul. In a moment we will come to this table where we celebrate and we remember Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Saviour. Do you know Jesus as the person that he says he is? Do you you identify Jesus as the one who is our only king and our only hope? Do you see Jesus as the one who gives living water for our thirsty souls? Or are you still playing guess who? Let's pray. Father, we have gathered as a group of people together, each one of us so different from each other. But we're here for some reason. Something has drawn us here this morning. Father, you have presented us with this question of the identity of Jesus. As each of us explore on a faith journey who Jesus is and what he means in our lives. 
Help us to get past everything that would hinder us, everything that tradition has thrown up, everything that we put in our own way because we want Jesus on our terms. Help us to clear that away so that we will see the true identity of who Jesus is. And as we come to celebrate and to remember his death and resurrection, may you capture us afresh and anew in the depths of our hearts and our souls who truly Jesus is, what he has done, and what he offers us as we look to eternity. In his name we pray. Amen.